Hey, podcast world, here is a hint to uh, who we have on as a guest today. Ready, Lee? I'm ready, Rob. Okay, here's the hint. Do, 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 It's hammer time. It's hammer time. It's hammer time. Now, do we have the rights to to hum that song? Well, you know what? I think if MC Hammer sent us a cease and desist order for it, yeah. we, we probably would, I'm guessing. Okay, yeah. Uh, if I don't if think... that happens, we will come back on and let the whole podcast world know. I don't think we have the our legal budget Yeah. Um, is is such that it could stand a, uh, a, a legal action from someone you of know, his stature. I'm thinking you have made it whenever MC Hammer listens to your podcast. I, I would agree, and files a lawsuit against you. Yeah, so uh-huh. if that happens, uh-huh. kudos. Do, 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 do. The reason that we are bringing up MC Hammer today is we have a guest on who coincidentally shares his last name, but I think that's where everything kind of ends between them. We have, Brent yeah. Ham- we have Brent Hammer on today from Grange Insurance. Yeah, I think this is going to be a great conversation today. He is really uh, working on all the innovation for Grange uh, with some additional folks surrounding him, of course. But he is really leading the way and trying to take them into the next chapter of innovation. Brent Hammer is the innovation officer at Grange Insurance and basically runs the innovation team for that regional insurer out of Columbus, Ohio. Very excited to talk to Brent. I'm 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 interested in what all they are doing within Grange. You know how it's going to affect their claims and maybe their underwriting. I, I I think it'll be a great conversation today. Yeah, I think it's really interesting the kind of position that these innovation teams are in today. Uh, they're they're newer in the insurance world and they have a big task. And how they go about doing it is just an interesting question. We've talked with Amika and heard about that from Adam Kostecki, and it'll be interesting to hear how how Grange goes about it. Well, and think about all that they have to choose from, you know, from AI, from satellite imagery, from workflows internally and externally. They have so much to work on and to choose from. It's just a big job to sort through all the things that are out there. And I think that'll be a question. You know, what what do they do? How do they how do they sort through all the technology and all the startup companies? How how do they do that? Well, why don't we find out? I think that's great. There's only one way to do that, and that's let's jump into our interview without further ado. Our interview with Brent Hammer. You might say it's hammer time. Hey, podcast world. We are here today with our guest, a special guest from Ohio, Mr. Brent Hammer from Grange Insurance. How are you doing, Brent? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Where in Ohio are you? Yeah, we uh, we are right uh, home of the Buckeyes, Columbus, Ohio. Ah, ah. Is Columbus the biggest city in Ohio? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I I, I think um, at one point, uh, Cleveland and, and Cincinnati were larger, but um, I think Columbus uh, just recently has surpassed them in population. And yeah, they're, the city's growing like crazy. Uh, I actually grew up here and you would not recognize uh, the campus area or the downtown um, even from five, six years ago. Yeah, it's uh, I, I love to come to Columbus and, and what an insurance kind of insurance capital. Oh, right? yeah. It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We've got neighbors uh, to the north and to the east and the west who uh, definitely we go toe to toe against. <laughs> yeah. So so tell us, um, you are, tell, give us what your title is. Sure thing. So uh, I am the innovation officer. So pretty, pretty simple title. And uh, in that capacity, I, I have a, a, also a small team. So we're a team of three people who form our core innovation team. And we're responsible first uh, and foremost for continuing to proliferate a, a culture of innovation at the enterprise. So really tapping into our associates, uh, associate-led innovation ideas, and then um, secondarily, and what we've really been focusing on for the last three to, to four or five months has been engaging externally um, in the insurtech space, uh, trying to identify those strategically aligned startups, um, help, help the business evaluate them, and then ultimately partner with them and, and operationalize and iterate on their solutions. So how did you make your way to be the innovation officer at Grange? Are you <laughs> new to the company or what, what's your story real quick? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I, I'm still, I, I still think about that sometimes at night before I, before I go to sleep and close my eyes. But uh, my background is in finance and uh, I've actually been with the Grange Enterprise for 13 years now and have, have worn numerous hats uh, across the enterprise function. Um, most recently, I was the controller for one of our affiliate companies, Integrity Insurance, and they're based in Appleton, Wisconsin. Right. Right. And uh, I, I guess to to give a short answer and not to not to bore, um, innovation is something I've always been passionate about. And uh, about a year, two years ago, I had uh, conveyed to to my boss that I was interested. I, I felt like I'd kind of saturated the the vertical in the controller role, which I'd been in for six years at that point, and expressed an interest in innovation. And she obliged and was fantastic and, and actually uh, got me, gave me opportunities to start to engage with startups, to learn about them, to, uh, to run innovation events with associates. And um, at that same time, Grange was uh, having conversations about really making a deliberate investment in the innovation space and, and understanding the need to partner with and engage these innovative new companies that were that were popping up in the space uh, to, to help us execute on our vision as a company. So you use the term innovation a lot. The, uh, define what that means for you guys at Grange. Yeah, wow, that's a great question. So I think you would get different answers um, with, with uh, depending on who you spoke to. But we really view innovation not not necessarily as something that is uh, you know brand spanking new, super slick technology. For us, innovation is any any even incremental step that is going to help improve the experience for our policyholders, our customers, uh, or our independent agents. So we are also uh, exclusive uh, in our distribution through our independent agent partners. So whenever you were working on the innovation, you were talking about how you work on internal and external. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what do you mean by internal innovation? 
Yeah, great point. So, uh, or great question. So, associate-led innovation and, and just innovation—the uh, the the cult the culture in general—is so critical. Um, if if our associates aren't aware of what we're doing, aren't excited about trying new things, um, no one's sort of pushing them off kilter a little bit. Um, that that's not uh, an environment where what we're trying to do. Uh, to try new things, to to bring external companies in and, and have our associates partner with them, it, it's not going to thrive in that space. And so we uh, we are are very proactive about engaging our associates. We actually have uh, innovation wars. So we'll uh, have our associates come in. Anyone in the company can participate in it. They normally um, last an entire day. And we'll tee up a topic for them and break folks up into groups. Uh, they'll they'll go into their rooms, ideate, um, in some circumstances, even create a prototype. And then they'll come back to our senior leadership team and, and pitch those ideas. And, and that's really how it got started. And when we started, we, we reached an inflection point uh, over a year ago where instead of us having to try to get people um, to, to sign up for the event, associates and department leaders started coming to us and saying, hey, can you do this for my department? Um, wow. We, we hit that tipping point, and that was really the catalyst for our, our CEO and our leadership team to say, hey, we need a, a formal innovation team, because up until that point, it was very much uh, volunteer-driven and, and grassroots efforts. The idea of a formal innovation team is very interesting to us. I think uh, at many companies, innovation is kind of ad hoc mm -hmm. and maybe somebody has an innovative idea or maybe there's an innovative character who's on staff or what have you. But mm -hmm. what you guys are trying to do is to make it a formalized um, process, a formalized department inside uh, of your company, mm -hmm. not just something that, uh, just chases down cool stuff, <laughs> but that, but that is broader than that and, and, and more significant than that. Is, is that correct? Yeah, that, that's a great way to, to outline it. So I would say in addition to making sure that, that we're communicating to our associates, we're continuing to, um, cultivate a culture where people can take risks, can throw crazy ideas out there. Um, one of the things that we thought was really important is we found a, a, a new startup would, um, you know, come onto our radar. They would have a really cool solution that we think um, aligns strategically. But what they would do is blow up 20 people on LinkedIn, um, you know, and we'd start, you know, 10, 12 different communication threads throughout the organization. Some would die, some would go up, you know, further up the chain. And forming the the formal innovation team, what we what we want to do and what we're doing now is one door in and out uh, to the organization, to the key stakeholders within the business and connecting them, um, being that conduit between the founders of the startups and the key stakeholders within the business. And so now we're really trying to you know, free up time and provide a service for our for our business leaders, so that they're not getting pinged directly. They can they can forward those those notes to me and my team, and we'll handle it from there. Um, and then it also helps the startups and the founders because in doing that, we can have one voice back to them on where we stand, and also really drive the speed of the communication with them as well. 
So uh, another thing that we augment our innovation team with is we've got dedicated resources, not full time, but dedicated resources from legal and from our procurement departments. And we, we were very, very deliberate up front to uh, set an expectation with our legal and our procurement departments that we can't treat this like a normal vendor. These, these are startup companies. We need to be quick. We need to be nimble. We need to have T-shirt size NDAs and statements of work um, that are going to work for them that we can uh, to, to enable the speed of, of the interaction. I love that. I think that's great. We've actually uh, been a part of multiple pilots at the same time with uh, single companies because because of this issue. Um, there were a lot of people who were being uh, reached out to by the startup companies. And so uh, they just kind of took it and ran. But mm-hmm. it sounds like y'all are really funneling it so that you can get the most out of everything you do. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and then the other aspect too is that we are, are making sure that we're approving success criteria for every POC and pilot we do so that we have a... a, a a similar or consistent rigor to how we're judging items and, and how they move forward or, or how they get put on hold. And that I, I think has been really great as well, because prior to that, you know, you could have very subjective measures. Um, we really try to take a scientific method to things rather than than a gut feel in terms of our, our POCs being successful and, and, and are the solutions doing what we, we thought and think they could do. So you mentioned startups frequently a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And how does that fit in? What are you doing with startups? Why do you bring that up? Why are startups so important to you? Yeah, I, I think it's it's really important to uh, augment your your thinking and and get diversity and thought. And the startup companies bring that in two ways. One, uh, they they don't have the biases and, and that. Uh, maybe the decision makers within a carrier have uh, developed over time. Um, and I don't say bias in a bad way. It's just a preferred way of doing things, a preferred way of thinking. So they don't have any of those biases. The, the, there's freer thinking. And in addition to that, they're not always insurance companies. Sometimes they're technology companies. Right. And, and when you can combine the domain expertise of someone who has a career in insurance and ideate together with someone who... Can, can really articulate what a new emerging technology is capable of doing, bringing together the art of the, and, and the science and educating the business on the art of the possible is really powerful. When you start to see the gears in our executives' heads turn when they're talking with a startup and, and seeing a, a demo of what they can do. Yeah, I completely agree with you. There's nothing like, like talking to a startup founder or somebody involved in a startup company to really get the ideas generated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just a whole different you know, group of people. It's a different thought process. And I, I think, I think they're great. I enjoy visiting with them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You're looking at them to help you guys innovate, right? To, to bring their products in. Are their products a fit for where you guys are trying to go? Yeah, that's exactly right. And so what we, what we normally find is uh, that I shouldn't say that not what we normally find. What we have found in some circumstances is that a, a startup will come in and they will blow you out of the water with the slickest PowerPoint presentation you've ever seen. Um, yeah, they're good at that. <laughs> and when you kind of get under the covers a little bit, you find that you know, it, it's it's all 
all theoretical. They're very early on in, in the stages. And in some circumstances, we're good with that. If the vision is good and, and the technology is sound and we see a path, we really try to be diligent about having a diverse innovation portfolio. So having companies that are a little bit more established, maybe have done, you know, uh, hundreds of pilots before and, and really are, are production ready all the way down to, you know, we've been customer number one for two different startups that are in our portfolio where we believed in the founder. They had a great vision. Um, the, the use case and the business case were sound. And we said, yep, let's, let's do this. We'll, we'll be um, customer number one and, and help iterate through this. Wow. That's, that's pr pretty bold for a insurance carrier. Pretty brave. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and and again, it's not huge risks, right? So taking a little bit of an agile approach, we we definitely you know take little bites at a time and, and make sure we're heading in the right direction. So we're not biting off huge chunks at, at a time. And so we've understood that you are partnered with a company called Rev One. Yeah. Tell us about what that who they are and what that partnership is and how that fits into what we're talking about. Absolutely, yeah. So, so Rev One is a, a, a startup studio, and they're actually uh, located here in Columbus, Ohio, as well. And uh, they they do uh, things on the venture side, uh, and then more recently, over the last couple of years, they've started to do corporate sponsorships, um, taking that expertise that they have developed on the venture side, um, and as a startup studio and, and an accelerator to, to help these companies. Uh, grow, they've taken that domain expertise and said, hey, you know, we could really partner with companies um, that, that want to engage and, and interact with startups, but don't necessarily have that expertise in-house. And um, we really saw a great opportunity for a partnership there. Uh, given given their locality, most of the time when we meet, it's face to face, and we we have weekly touch base meetings on um, on the deal flow. But they really bring tremendous expertise, and, and and have really helped us to refine our process for identifying and evaluating potential partners. Um, and and we were able to get off the ground and running and get up that that learning curve with tremendous speed due to their guidance and and, and their help in setting up that process. And what, if, if you reflect on it, what are the kinds of things that they specifically that they helped with, or even generally, I mean, what comes to your mind when you think about the contribution that they've made on, on a big picture level? Yeah, ab absolutely. So one of the main goals of working with Rev1 is to make sure that when we do engage a startup and, and we actually take time from uh, our business leaders to interact with them, that they've already kind of been vetted in terms of it's it's not flight by night you know they've got a competent leadership competent um founder uh sound business case sound use cases and so rev one actually does an initial screening call with every company before we talk to them uh, and they've also helped us identify uh, you know potential knockout questions so that we can just ask those right off the bat instead of uh, asking it at the end of the demo, for example, or or not thinking to ask it until it's gone up the flagpole and we've had several demos. Right, right. When it's down the road a little mm -hmm. bit, but getting that decision much earlier on. Yeah, yeah. So they, they've been a great partner. Again, they they helped us sort of set up that front door that I talked about with, that we want our core innovation team to, to be. And they have done so much. Again, our innovation team here at Grange is only three dedicated resources um, the Rev1 team has done a ton to allow us to maximize our, our abilities 
And um, you know, I, I think we formally launched in April. So, so timing-wise, uh, it, it hasn't been that long. It's only been four months. But we've already um, you know, accumulated over 200 qualified leads of companies that we think could be strategically relevant and good partners. Uh, we've had uh, calls or evaluated uh, over 100 of those and moved on to a demo phase with, uh, I, I think, uh, a little over 30 of those companies already. So w- without without their guidance and, and their expertise, we would have been much, much slower in, in not been able to hit the ground running. That's a lot of demos. <laughs> it is. I mean, it is. I that's, uh, um, demos not, of course, being the same thing as a pilot, but... We've been involved in many pilots. We've been active in the in the space mm-hmm. on the claim side for some time, for a few years. And pilots can take a lot of time, a lot mm-hmm. of energy, a lot of focus, a lot of attention, uh, for sometimes less than stellar results. How, how do you how do you manage all that? Yeah, you hit on a huge lesson learned that 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 was an epiphany to us very early on, probably within within the first several weeks. And the the term that we coined internally amongst ourselves was death by demo. And what mm-hmm. what ended up happening was maybe we, we were very conscious about trying to be fast and, and interact and, and match the pace of, of the startups and these founders that, that we were talking to. And so if they wanted to do a demo, um, but only one of the two or three key stakeholders in the business was available, um, you know, one was out on vacation or, or the scheduling didn't work, we would actually do the demo one, two, three times. And then inevitably, one of those key stakeholders says, this is cool, but uh, there are two other guys, two other gals in the business that should see this too and, and, and opine on it. And so now we're doing demo number five. And now we're actually working against the speed factor. And more importantly, when we're trying to accommodate uh, the founders of these startups who are, are incredibly busy, we've actually taken up more of their time instead of less of it. Uh, and, and so the approach that we take with demos is we've actually identified a team of innovation coordinators. So, so these are folks within the company. There's one that represents each business unit. And those folks are sort of spokes on the wheel, the, the hub that myself and, and, and my two colleagues form as the core team. And they're, they're allocated maybe 10 to 20% of their time to, to innovation, but they review all the deal flow with us as, as it comes in, all of the, all the leads. And they're responsible for vetting with uh, the folks in their business the, the solution and then who identifying all the key stakeholders. And we will not have a demo until every single one of those key stakeholders is available. So if it means that we do have to delay the demo for three weeks, or, or even a month, we will we'll choose to do that now um, to avoid again that death by demo. And now, the uh, the startup company is knows all right. This is what this is the shot. I've got all the key stakeholders, all the decision makers at the table, um, and that that has worked really well for us. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I can't tell you how many times I've sat through a demo and thought, man, I wish so and so was here, or if I had put more thought into it. So I think what you're doing there. Uh, making sure that you you think about who should be in the room and then making them be in the room that saves everybody time and helps the process mm-hmm. go so much smoother. What other lessons have you learned through this process? 
Thanks for asking. Uh, I would say another one has been how we define success uh, for for an innovation project. And uh, having being a, a finance background, I enjoy formulas. So the formula that that we preach is success equals the quality of the solution or the quality of the technology times the level of adoption. And what I mean by that is we have had on multiple occasions really slick demos, really slick technology. And we, we as the innovation team get super, super pumped about it. So we say to ourselves, oh my gosh, you know, I can't wait till we show this to the, to the business. They are going to love this. You know, we might as well just go straight to negotiating a statement of work for, you know, a, a proof of concept or a pilot. And having that integration with the business and, and being able to assess their interest and the level of adoption that it might get up front has been really amazing because what we've learned is that the amazing tech doesn't win when we already have a sound or, or, or efficient process in place. So we find this amazing tech that our team is salivating over. And when we bring it to the business, our goal is to really assess what level of adoption, what level of traction do we think this can get with them. And and what we found is that the amazing tech does not always win. In, in fact, it, it doesn't win when we already have a sound process in place. And the reason for that is that the leaders in the business are very honest to say, look, I, I cannot articulate a strong enough why the why we should adopt this new technology when we already have a, a process that's working in place. And it almost comes back to the, the if it's not broke, don't fix it. But, but really being mindful of, of not just the quality of the solution, but the level of adoption that we think we can get with the business is how we think we can have the highest probability of success and, and the most successful solution. And, and too often, I think people focus on just what they can control and, and, and the solution that they're delivering and not how it's going to be received and coaching or educating the, uh, the folks who will be using it on why they should adopt it. Yeah, because if uh, people aren't bought in, then it's probably going to fail. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and so we've been able to, to cut those off at the pass with a couple of, of companies we've engaged with um, simply by putting that front and center when, when we're talking about uh, engaging and partnering with a company. Are you guys doing this in just in specific areas of the company? Like I know you have a big focus on claims, mm -hmm. but are using it elsewhere? Is this across the enterprise? It is. Innovation? I mean, are you, is any department open to this? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a great question. I would say that, again, innovation is, is open to all. And so we market ourselves as strategic enablers to the business, not as uh, disruptors to the business. We, we do want to be business driven with the decisions that we make and the things that we hunt for out, uh, out in the marketplace and, and bring back to them to see if they want to eat or not. But what I would add to that as well is that I think you have to ex you have to really be able to explain the why to the business unit uh, of, of why they should engage with you. And so um, they have to be a little bit dubious. I mean, they have to look at you and say, uh, is he going to hurt? Is yeah. he going to hurt us? Is he going to is he going to ruin our business? <laughs> everything. Everything's OK. Why doesn't he leave us alone? Yeah. I mean, I bet I bet some people in the organizations can see you guys walking down the hallway and think, uh oh, we're in trouble now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the, <laughs> the crown jewels of any organization are, are always going to be the hardest thing to get to and the hardest thing to move. And, and the way we try to approach that is uh, 
almost like uh, any any kind of storytelling, we want to paint the you know commercial lines or personal lines or the claims department. They're they're the hero in the story, and what we're trying to educate them on is you know an opportunity you know, or a problem that they're facing and how we can help them solve it. So the innovation team steps in as as their guide to help them overcome that problem or help them achieve uh, that outcome that they want, the objectives that they've set for the year or or their their strategic roadmap over the next five years. Um, and so if, if we can come in and treat them like Luke Skywalker and play the role of Yoda, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a little bit of the, of the approach that we take in that. That is the first Star Wars shout out we've had on our podcast. That's really cool. <laughs> that, that is was, true. That was great. Thank you for doing that. It's about time that ice was yeah, broken. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I'm, I'm glad I could do it. You know, Brent, I want to ask a question. So you talked about uh, your formula, right? Success equals quality of solution times level of adoption. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about level of adoption. So from demos into pilot into actual uh, product of, of being used, talk to us a little bit about pilots or, or actually getting people on board uh, because you have a vision. You have seen this software or this technology and you say, we need this and it will do X. So now I need to get my level of adoption up. Yep. What do you do next? What is that like? Yeah, very good question. So uh, part of it is being uh, very deliberate about the expectations that you're setting and being very uh, as clear as you can, because sometimes it is a little bit fuzzy around your demand on their capacity and their resources as as part of the pilot. So if, if they don't have any skin in the game, and or if you're surprising them with new asks or, or you said it's going to take 10 hours and uh, I'm sorry, it's actually going to take 40 hours, you're turning them off immediately. Um, I think the other way we help drive adoption is that they're actually involved every step of the way. As soon as we've identified a qualified lead, we're not having a call with them until our innovation coordinators are socializing that within their, within their business unit. And so they are, for all intents and purposes, the kill switch in every conversation that we engage in with a potential startup partner. And because of that, because they're empowered um, to, to be that, we have found the engagement from the business and the adoption has been excellent. Now, I'll also say that, again, we're, we're very new in the process. And so, you know, we've got you know, seven proofs of concept going on right now. Um Three, three pilots. So we don't have a huge sample size, but I, I will say that we've had tremendous uh, interest and engagement from the business, and that um, you know one of those companies that that we did, we've had several successful pilots with, is actually productionized and has been adopted. As wow! Part of the company. Well, congratulations. Very, very quick. That's great. Yeah, that's quick since April. Mm-hmm. That's uh, speed of light in the insurance industry. And, and to be fully transparent, this was actually more of an organic company that, um, so we were doing things behind the scenes before we officially launched with Rev1 in April. Uh, so they were a company that we had actually uh, made a little bit of progress with before that formal announcement in April. So I don't want to take too much credit. I got I got to set the proper expectations. But um, we probably were engaged with this company for about a year before we productionized it. We know that you um, have a high opinion of drones. <laughs> and, uh, rec- we, we most recently, that. most recently, yes. Most recently. And I would say that we like drones. Right. Would, would you agree, Lee? I mean, we see them as a tool in the tool belt. Is That's the expression that I hear Lee use frequently to uh, 
to, to talk about drones, that they're a tool in the tool belt, that they're not an end all be all, mm -hmm. uh, but they're, but they're a legitimate tool for us. Let's talk about drones for a minute. Why are you guys excited about drones? What is it about drone or drone technology or drone enabled technology that, that you guys like? Well, I would say that we weren't always super excited about drones, but the technology has actually come a lot, uh, a long way recently, in our opinion, in particular as a tool in the tool belt for the adjuster, exactly as, as you articulated it. Now, while the technology has matured, the regulatory aspects maybe haven't matured as fast as, as the tech or as, as fast as we would like. But uh, as, as the techs matured, we, we were able to conduct a pilot recently. And in Indiana, a, a large hailstorm blew through. And through the use of drones, we were able to inspect 53 properties uh, in less than 48 hours. And not just inspect them, but actually have the sketches provided and estimates drawn up. So 53 properties in 48 wow. hours. If an adjuster had to climb on those roofs, they're normally handling 8 to 10 per day. Uh, so it's, it's much faster. But then in addition to that, it's safer. Uh, there's also a better overall customer experience, um, potentially, for, for the policyholders. So they don't have to you know, have an adjuster knock on their door. Um, you know, they don't have to have the fear of someone climbing up on their roof if, if, if they have anxiety over that. And, and so it's just all around a product that is, that is really a great tool we found to, for, for the adjuster and, and for the customer and, and for us as well as, as, a, as an organization. I like that. I am curious on the number of man hours that went into inspecting uh, that many roofs and getting everything completed. Was it was it comparable to the same as sending an adjuster? Were there more people doing it, or were you able to use less man hours total? Yeah, we were we were able to use less man hours total um, as a result of that. So instead of having, and again, you know, some of our adjusters are based here in Columbus, Ohio, and so to have them, you know, go out to Indiana and, and have to travel and and you know be be away from home, we were able to deploy fewer overall adjusters uh, with with the use of the drones. Wow. Well, that's really nice. So do you feel as though the drone technology has really made it to where it's useful to trust the measurements and the and the photos that it's taken? Well, I, I don't want to step outside my bounds uh, in, in areas of domain expertise. So I, mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily be able to opine on that again as a as a as a former accountant. Um, but, <laughs> but but what I've heard from the claims uh, or claims folks uh, does does seem to validate that. But but I I wouldn't necessarily want to opine on that specifically. Yeah, well, we we have interviewed numerous people with the drones and the technology over the past couple of years. If you look at the past five years, it's it's light years ahead. And even if you look at the past year, the technology just keeps getting better and better. And I would say that the drone technology for me really has been about as good as it has been, but it's the it's the technology behind the computer software that has really made it a very useful tool uh, when adjusting claims quickly. So that kudos to to y'all for going out there and uh, testing it out. I'm glad it was very successful. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So innovation uh, through startups and the technology that they bring is is uh, is cool and obviously central to what you're doing. But are you also innovating in other ways? Are you also bringing other types of innovation just that just then new technology? 
Yeah. So, and, and this kind of goes down the machine learning path a, a little bit, but in, again, kind of staying on the, the claims uh, uh, value chain, fraud analytics is an area where we've also seen huge improvements in, in the technology that's out there, leveraging big data, leveraging machine learning. Um, and there's the ability now to look at a photograph that gets submitted from, from a policyholder and being able to tell, oh, that was pulled off of AutoTrader, or we found that on Google Images, or maybe even the same photo was submitted different times by different people, or moreover, you could take the, uh, the same picture of a, of a fender bender from different angles, and the technology can determine that's the same bumper. You just changed the angle that you took the picture from. And so ha having that technology built into um, our upfront fraud analytics has really shifted us as an industry, I would say, even from being very reactive in terms of, of fraud detection to being, to being proactive. And what I've been really impressed by, too, is that the technology just doesn't start flashing a red light and, you know, uh, attacking the person. The technology can say, all right, I'm 65 percent confident that this could potentially be fraudulent. And so what I'm actually going to do is ask a couple leading questions and really try to refine my my probability that this is fraudulent. And so you ask another question and then you ask another question because the first time the person submitted it, for example, it went right through and the claim got paid, but now, okay, the process feels different. I'm getting asked questions that I didn't get asked before. And what we found is that the theory that, that, that we're looking to prove, I should say, is that uh, uh, the policyholder is going to actually stop the claim process, the claim submission process. But then it, it's not just that sort of um, behavioral economics that, that's taken into play. You can also look at other factors and augment that fraud data with the fact that, okay, we have a customer um, you know, relationship management tool, and this person has been our customer for 25 years and never submitted a claim. So how do we factor that into um, the, the claim submission process as well? So we're really excited with the possibilities uh, in, in the fraud detection space. Well, we have one, one more question we want to throw sure. at you before we go today. And that is, you know, you've been running around in this innovation space now for a little while. And obviously, like you said, you, you've uh, touched 200 different, different companies and opportunities. What do you see for the future? What, what, what's it, what you said you're excited about mm -hmm. machine learning. Where, where do you suppose this is going for your company? What's exciting? What do you see out there in the future that gets your pulse up? Yeah, I don't know if this will be, uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to paint with a broad brush here, but I, it's what I'm really excited about. And and that is uh, using these emerging technologies, partnering with these innovative companies to deliver solutions. I, I think automation is sometimes viewed as a bad word, um, but intelligent, intelligent automation right. is the thing I'm most excited about because what we can do is, is make our associates feel feel more fulfilled in their jobs, tamp down that back office work, any paper pushing, and really let them nurture and develop critical skill sets, uh, that the, the human element of problem solving, of you know, emotional intelligence, of, of critical thinking. And 
in doing that and, and allow using the technology to make our associates more impactful and, and feel more fulfilled, that in turn translates directly to the, our customers, our policyholders that they're interacting with and having touch points with and, and making the, the, the process more efficient for them as well and allowing our talent, our talented associates to engage and interact with them the way they want to interact. That's, that sounds awesome. <laughs> that, that's the utopian state. <laughs> yeah, that'd be wonderful. Well, the good thing is, is that uh, in our industry, we're, we're all devoted to making that happen. Mm -hmm. It just might happen slowly. Oh, yeah, very, very much so. But uh, this is the insurance industry. But, it's, but uh, we're working along and people like you are at the forefront of a really exciting time. You know, I, I, we had a conversation recently with Adam Kostecki from Amica and talking all about innovation and innovation as a practice inside of a inside of carriers. And I think we're going to see more and more of this as the opportunities become clear. And, and you see it now. There's an abundance of different cool ways to go here. Very much so. Uh, choosing the right one that's smart for your company and most effective for your company is much easier said than done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Choosing what not to do is... is... <laughs> It's just yes, as important, much so. maybe more important. Very much right? so. I mean, out of 200, if two or three work, that's a lot. That's probably a pretty good batting yeah. average. This isn't this isn't major league baseball. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, so, it's um, that uh, the uh, the in a, there's a a, a par or not a paradox I should say in terms of uh, the value that innovation brings, right? And understanding there's a, a J curve to that where you've got to have a lot of learning and a lot of failure up front uh, to increase that batting average over time. So I, I love that analogy mm -hmm. that you used. Well, we wish you well with your batting average. And uh, we thank you so much for being with us today. I have to shout out uh, some people in your claim yeah. department who connected us to you and made this happen. So uh, thank you to Chris in claims. And uh, we appreciate you generously being with us today. I hope it was good for you. It was, it was, it was fantastic. So I, I appreciate it, gentlemen. Good, good. And next time we're in Columbus, we're going to come see you and, and take a look in your laboratory. Absolutely. Innovate. Yes, please swing on by. Will do. All Thanks. Right. Have a great day. You too. I liked Hammer Time. Yeah, I thought it was a, a great time. I think it'll be a hit. <laughs> do you now? Do you? I do. We don't have I to do. deal with many hits on the FNO and SureTech podcast. That's, no. Yeah. Hits is not our thing. But what we are about is learning about how innovation teams work. And yeah. it was great to have Brent on and, and to hear all about that. Yeah, I, I really enjoy always getting to hear about what they do and what their process is. Mm -hmm. I was very interested in the discussion about Rev1 right. and how they go through finding companies and, right. and sorting through them because, you know, it is a lake full of different solutions and it's really difficult to find the right one at the right time. And this kind of gets to something about innovation and innovation inside of these companies. It's a new thing. And now we learn that there's even a company out there, Rev1, who mm -hmm. can provide support to an innovation team to help innovation teams do their work. Fascinating world that's emerging there. And we thank Brent for giving us the time to give us more insight and depth around innovation in the insurance space. And we thank everybody for being with us today. Ask you as always to subscribe to our podcast and be a member of our community. 
We're on all social platforms as well. So look us up and we'll leave it to Lee to take us home. Should I do, Goodbye. should I wait, should I do hammer time in the background? Yeah, do, yeah, do, yeah, do, yeah, go ahead. Goodbye, everyone.